1: Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is David Cohen, Senior Executive Vice President of Comcast Corporation and Chairman of the Board of Trustees for the University of Pennsylvania. David, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Well, thanks for inviting me, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Now, before we get into the official interview, I've got one question for you that I'm really curious about because your resume, your job history is, I don't even know how you managed to do everything in one day that is on the still current list of items on your resume on LinkedIn, et cetera. There's many things people have done. You're still sort of doing them all, which is amazing to me. What's something that you always wanted to do that you haven't had a chance to do yet?
2: Well, you know, I I don't mean to, to sound like I've done it all. But I, one of the hallmarks of my career, I think, is that I'm a big believer in being open to opportunities. And I've always tried to put myself in a position that the jobs I've held or the nonprofit organizations I'm involved with are providing me with an opportunity to diversify my experience and to always be in a position to say yes to a new opportunity. So when you look at my resume and you say oh my gosh, how did he find the time to do all of those things? It really was a volitional act on my part to sample everything I was interested in and to take advantage of everything that I was interested in. So I think that's what I've done over the course of my career. As I think today, I think that the things left to do in my life is to fill out my life with a transition away from my day-to-day activities as a senior corporate executive. And I am i think I'm doing that. I'm active in a host of nonprofit and civic activities that are very important to me. I am now serving on my first public company board, which I had not done before. And I've joined the PNC bank board. Mm. And certainly so far that has been everything that I had hoped it would be. Mm. And um, I am also sort of considering whether I want to return to some government service. I've worked in Congress. I worked for Ed Rendell when he was mayor of Philadelphia. And with Joe Biden's election as president, I'm thinking about whether I want to go back into the government as a member of his administration. So those would be the things I'd add to my list that I haven't already executed.
1: And what kind of role would you be interested in taking in the Biden administration?
2: I don't want to be presumptuous. So, I mean, it would have to be, a, I mean, it would be a role that give me an opportunity to exercise my political skills and um, the management skills that I've developed over the course of my career. So I'm not being very picky and I'm not 100% sure I would do this, but um, I've at least raised my hand to say that I'm willing to consider something in that space.
1: We cannot wait to see. I'm speaking for myself, and I'm betting I'm going to speak for everybody else out there listening, too. Cannot wait to see what that might look like. So we will keep our eyes open for sure. Now, in your current role at Comcast, who do you need to influence?
2: I have a role that requires me to influence a lot of different people. Um, I start with um, influence of employees to sort of uh, bring them along on the culture of the company and the civic and Charitable engagement of the company and the business plans of the company. So I spend a lot of time thinking about and talking to employees about what it means to be a, an employee of Comcast. I also big part of my job is to influence elected officials and regulators around the company's business. I also try to develop strategies and then execute those strategies to influence the press and in the way in which they cover the company. And I also spend a fair amount of time thinking about how we influence customers and prospective customers about the quality of our products and services and what it is that we bring to the table that is unique from our competitors.
1: In doing all of this, what's the biggest communication challenge that you or Comcast faces today?
2: So that's an incredibly easy question, at least for the time being. Okay. I don't think it's unique to me, but it is particularly compelling to me, and that is how do you communicate in the midst of a pandemic when most of your communication is virtual, when you are rarely in the same room talking one-on-one to an employee, to a member of the press, to a legislator? Almost all of my communication these days is via Zoom or Teams or some video conference platforming. And I'm a communicator who feeds off my audience. Yes. You can tell when an audience, you can tell when you have an audience Yes, when they're buying in the head nodding when you're in a zoom call with a hundred people. First of all, you can't even see the hundred people in these little boxes on the screen, but it's harder to follow the head nods and the questioning looks. And I think it presents for everyone, but particularly for someone like me, who really does like to react to my audience, some real challenges to communication.
1: Yes, yes, it absolutely does. I almost feel like we went from zero to 60 being either all in person or phone calls to suddenly all video, all the time. And while we're getting used to it, to some extent, so many people still very much want to almost have a disclaimer at the beginning of all their video communication that says, I just want you to know, if we were in person, you'd be really impressed by me. So take this conversation with a grain of salt. And uh, it just doesn't, that might have worked for the first couple of months of this, but not anymore. Now it's time to step things up and really have that brand translate to the screen. Now, what specific communications did you have to develop in order to get to your current role?
2: I often get asked by young people whether they should go to law school. That's mm. into my madness here is I went to law school, but I'm not practicing law. So I often get asked, including by my younger son, whether he should go to law school. And I'm a big believer in the importance of the skills that you pick up in law school. Um, even if you don't want to practice law and the best of law schools, you're not really learning the substance of contracts, law or torts law, or antitrust law, you're learning how to learn. You're learning how to read, you're learning how to analyze, and you're learning how to communicate around complicated subject matters. So I think I was a very good lawyer. And I think one of the reasons why I was a very good lawyer is that I could take really complicated subject matter, and I could distill it into something simple and compelling and easy for my audience to understand, even if they didn't know anything about the subject matter, and I think that's my secret sauce for communication skill in the business world is taking complicated subject matters and distilling them down to interesting sound bites and stories that enable me to make the case of whatever case it is you know that I am trying to make. Yes. So I. You know, as I think about this, there are legions of examples about this, but I'll give two, which is in complicated transactions, when Comcast is acquiring companies, almost always the issue in the transaction is, well, Comcast is getting bigger and big is bad. And if you let Comcast acquire the opponents of the transaction, say, if you let Comcast acquire that company, then they're going to have too much market share. Um, whatever, so it'd mm-hmm. be dangerous to consumers. So I had to develop a story, and stories about why big was not bad, why big could be good. Sure. So, for example, in the NBC Universal transaction, one of our compelling stories was that big share in broadband was good, because we were going to launch this broadband adoption program called Internet Essentials, designed to connect every person to the internet, regardless of the zip code where they lived or the Mm. income level of their family, and that a small company could not do this, that the size and the scale of our company produced an enormous consumer benefit in terms of internet adoption and internet connectivity that outweighed any negative implications from the company just having a bigger market share in broadband. And in telling that story, I could talk about stories of individuals and families who had been benefited from a broadband connection. Like a mother that I met in Chicago who came up to me after an event with tears in her eyes saying that she has been doing the best she can for her two middle school boys by bringing them every night after dinner to a McDonald's parking lot and handing her smartphone. Over to them in the back seat so that they could do their homework on the free Wi Fi from McDonald's.
1: Mm.
2: And then talking about the difference in the quality of the education and the quality of life of that family by having affordable broadband at home and an affordable laptop so that, in fact, her kids could work on term papers on a laptop. And as, as she said to me, Mr. Cohen, have you ever tried to do a term paper? on a smartphone. And that became part of the communications litany around the benefit of the NBC Universal transaction.
1: Sure. One of my favorite quotes from Einstein, who of course is, has many on record, is that if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough.
2: I'll give you another one. One of my favorite lines from Winston Churchill was, I'm sorry I didn't have time to write you a shorter letter. Yes.
1: Yes funny. I had heard that that was attributed to uh, Mark Twain, but if it was Churchill. I'll go uh, back and check it as well. Also, that I, yeah, I didn't have I time
2: to... I heard it was Churchill, but it could be Twain too.
1: And maybe one was quoting the other. Who knows? We'll have to go back. All right. All you fact checkers out there, go take a look online, see what you can find, and then send us both an email afterwards. or Send it to me and I'll pass it along. Now, it sounds like there's been a lot of really successful stories and a lot of really successful experiences along the way What's an example of a mistake that you made? Because while the perception, I'm sure, is that, well, I could never be as successful as he is because he was born perfect. He's made no mistakes along the way. Can we do a little myth busting? Have there been any mistakes made along the way?
2: So I've been involved in a lot of campaigns and advised a lot of candidates. And whenever you know, you're know you preparing for a debate or a big press interview, this is always the question that you prep the candidate on, because everyone's temptation is to say, gee, I can't remember a mistake I've ever made. And I tell them that that is like the single least appealing comment you can make to a voter because every voter remembers lots of mistakes that they've made. And you want to be empathetic and you want to be honest about mistakes that you've made. So I never answer that question by saying that I haven't made any mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes over the course of my career I think one I would single out, and it's interesting because former Mayor Rendell and I were just talking about this a month or so ago, is that when we, one of the central elements of, of his plan to turn around the city when he was elected mayor of Philadelphia in 1991 was the need to redo our collective bargaining agreements.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And we knew the negotiations were going to be very contentious and very difficult, and we prepared hundreds of stories and arguments as to why we needed to restructure those agreements. And we developed a pretty simple story about how in the absence of restructured collective bargaining agreements, the city was going to go bankrupt. Mm. Therefore, these restructured agreements were not only in the interest of the citizens of Philadelphia, but also of the workforce, which was going to lose their jobs if, in fact, the city went bankrupt. So we did such a good job with this that in retrospect I actually think we went too far and we created a sense of contention and bitterness
1: Mm.
2: with unnecessarily harsh for what we wanted to accomplish and I think it created a lot of ill will with the union leadership and with many members of the union that took us a number of years to recover from and so if I had to do it again and as I said, Ed and I have talked about this, we would have figured out a way to tell this story in a less harsh way and that did not run the risk that the way we told the story of creating an us versus them, the elite city leadership versus the poor represented members of the collective bargaining units in city government and tried to tell a story more focused on the need for collaboration, partnership, and working together and reinventing the government in partnership with the
0: municipal workforce.
1: Yeah, the win-win, finding the win-win approach. Yes, that's such a sensitive issue, especially in negotiations, that that's great advice for everybody. Now, you've alluded to this a moment ago, but nevertheless, what's the next big goal either for you or for Comcast. And what communication skills will you need to develop to achieve it?
2: So I'm going to give the Comcast answer because I think it has more generic appeal. Obviously, we and other companies are going to be coming out of the pandemic. And our big goal and our big challenge is to figure out how we conduct our work after the pandemic. Um, Are we all going to be, are the office workers all going to be jammed into high-rise offices again? I don't think so. Are we going to give up offices? No, I don't think we're going to do that either. I think there's going to be a hybrid approach. How are we going to produce movies and television shows? How are we going to operate our theme parks? How are movies going to be shown? I mean, are they all going to be shown in the theaters? And how are the theaters going to be constructed? We're going to have to de-densify them, have to improve ventilation. So there's a whole host of post-pandemic business operations that we need to figure out. I don't think it's going to be an all or nothing strategy on any one element. I think there are going to be a lot of hybrid approaches to conducting our business. And I'm one of these glass half full kind of guys. I think we're going to come out of this with better business operations that work better for our employees and work better for our customers.
1: That's definitely something that we are all trying to figure out as we go. Now, this brings us to our Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge. So given everything we've discussed so far, this is your chance to speak directly to our listeners and give them one step to take in the next 24 hours that they can complete in order to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today?
2: This will be an interesting one for for the listeners uh, because I have a slightly different philosophy than I suspect the listeners here most of the time, which is I'm not a big fan of trying to organize your life plan. I mean, I know there are college courses or guidance counselors who will give a homework assignment of go home and plot out a plan for your next year or for your next five years and write it down. So I hate that assignment. (laughs) I, I hated it when I was young. And personally, I think it's the wrong thing to do. I think the best thing you can do To further your career, is to make sure that you are flexible and open and that you put yourself in positions in jobs, in working with nonprofit organizations, in civic activities, where you're exposed to a lot of different opportunities and that you get practice of choosing those options and then re choosing them when they don't work out. I like to say if you're graduating college and you're 22 years old, And you have to choose a job, it's impossible, impossible for you to make a mistake. If you go with the job and you don't like it, then you'll be 24 years old and you're looking for another job. That is not the worst thing in the world. Right. You get to learn something. So my challenge, and it's a difficult challenge for 24 years, but my challenge is everyone's probably got a little bit of a life plan. So my challenge is throw it out. Pair it up, say I'm not going to pursue some plan that I put down on paper and sketched out how I'm going to proceed over the next couple of years. I'm going to throw it out and over the next 24 hours or 48 hours or 72 hours, I'm going to keep my eyes open for opportunities that I might be interested in taking advantage of and going after those opportunities and then seeing how that turns out for me as I proceed with my career.
1: All right. So throw the life plan, at least the career life plan out the window and be open to new opportunities. I love it. And this is just as... If somebody
2: like got engaged last night (laughs) and they made all these plans with a fiance, I'm not telling you you should break up with your fiance. Good disclaimer. That's a plan you can stick to for a while.
1: Yes. Again, this is career-wise, career plans that we're looking at here. It's funny because, and of course, this information, this advice is just as relevant, whether you're 24, 44, or 54, 64, to still be open to new opportunities. I think when I was probably just about 24, I remember reading a book on entrepreneurship or something and for the first and only time mapping out like the one, three and 10 year life plan options. And I think it took about six months before all three of them were completely irrelevant because I identified something that I'd never considered before. I
2: was going to ask you, how'd that work out for you?
1: Oh, it was, it was a great experience if only to learn what not to bother doing, because I realized I naturally gravitate in the direction that you've suggested, which is I'm always, my radar is always open to something new. And I very much go more with what inspires me in the moment than what I had planned earlier. Because like life changes so fast. Who knows what the opportunities are going to be? Who would have guessed podcasting would be a thing 10 years ago? Exactly. I certainly
2: wouldn't have. How about two years
0: ago?
1: Right. No, I wouldn't have considered it then either, really. Not even that much for me, at least. Although there are those who are far more ahead of that curve than I was. Now, When we talk about succession planning, career advancement priorities, and those kinds of things, you obviously are cultivating a lot of leaders one or two steps below you. So when you are thinking about who to hire or who to promote, when you think about terms like executive presence or leadership presence, command presence, what does that mean to you?
2: So this is something I've spent a lot of time on over the last few years as I've approached my ramp to retirement, both at Comcast and at the University of Pennsylvania. So it's a pretty fresh question for me. And uh, again, I'm not looking for one size fits all, but I tend to find most impressive people who exercise good judgment. I think having communication skills, oral and written communication skills are incredibly important. I mean, I like people who are prepared to stand up and express themselves who aren't afraid of being wrong and who will carry a conversation. And I, you know, I don't want to use the word presence again, but I mean, I think for executives, you need some level of gravitas that you're not some meek mouse um, in the room, but when you have an opinion, you express the opinion and you know how to defend the opinion. And it makes less difference whether you're right or wrong, than that you have the gravitas and the courage to be able to express your views.
1: Yes, yes. And when you are looking to hire or promote, what are some of the most important communication skills that you look for? And on the flip side, what's a red flag that could be arguably a career derailer or otherwise stop you from hiring or promoting them?
2: So, In the communication skills, it's obviously being articulate, being organized, being able to tell a story. I mean, I had said earlier, I think the best set of communication skills are where you can, are where you're telling a story about a complicated matter. So I think those are the golden nuggets, if you will, that I'm looking for. In terms of, of mistakes um, I think overstatements, exaggerations, um, I think that's the biggest risk that young people have. in, you know, in telling their stories, just sort of feeling you need to be overly dramatic or exaggerate the point that you're trying to make. And by the way, that goes down to the micro. I mean, I'm always, I'm always sensitive to the use of the word very.
1: Hmm, interesting.
2: This is it's really the overuse of the word very.
1: Okay. Why? So this, is
2: a, this is a very important point I want to make. And in order for us to be successful in marketing to our customers, we have to make sure that we are very scrupulous. about. Well, what do you need the word very for? <laughs> we have to make sure that you're scrupulous. And if you use the word very 15 times in a presentation, it takes away yes. from the ultimate point that you're trying to make. And it makes the listener or the reader suspicious about the story that you're telling and the point that you're trying to make.
1: Goes along with really, very and really are kind of synonymous. What about managing up? Tell me about a time when somebody brought an idea to you, they pitched an idea of whatever sort, and it just did not fly. What should they have done differently?
2: So I'm going to answer that question, but I also want to say that I think one of my strongest management skills is a very collaborative approach. Um, And I try and instill this in all of the young people I work with so that managing up is not something I teach because I think managing up is managing within a hierarchy, which I don't think is healthy. And I often don't think it is productive. So I try and encourage the members of my team to think and develop collaboratively and collegially with me and with others higher up in the in the chain and that sort of reduces the risk of mistakes and problems from managing up because you're developing ideas and concepts together as opposed to you go off and figure something out and tell me what this looks like that said there are some pretty spectacular examples of failures from managing up I, I don't want to name names. I don't want to be that not. specific because I'm a big believer that everything is a learning opportunity and this was. Sure. But I had a situation where someone on a team, very ambitious, very talented, made a proposal for combining two or three functions in the company mm-hmm. into a single function that she, of course, wanted to head. Mm. And she didn't really know all of the work that was being done in those functional areas in different Mm. parts of the company and so the proposal really didn't make any sense culturally or substantively okay and she made the mistake of not only bringing it to me but bringing it to other people and created resentments you know what was you know what was she thinking why is she trying to take my job Mm -hmm. and again i do believe that bad mistakes are learning opportunities and was able to take that as an opportunity to give her some counseling about how to communicate about organizational and structural change without appearing as presumptuous as she did.
1: So, what was one thing that she could have done differently to make the pitch more effective?
2: I think she could have learned more the way these functions existed, why they were organized the way they were. Um, the combination she was suggesting was just not a good suggestion. Hmm. she was making a proposal from the part of the organization that she saw. And if she had done more work to understand the way the entire organizational structure worked, I don't think she would have made the proposal.
1: Hmm. So be sure you've done your due diligence and be careful of some of the assumptions that you might not realize that you're making along the way. Does that sound about accurate? Yep. Great. Now, David, this brings us to the speed round. And these are some of the most common topics that arise in my training and coaching discussions with clients where people tend to see them as black or white, and they often struggle with them. And I want to do a little bit of myth-busting so that people understand better how to navigate these challenges. So in a single word or phrase, I'll ask you to state where you land on each of these issues, and then we'll dig a little bit deeper from there, okay? So first, public speaking, love it or hate it? Love it. Can you give us one tip for managing nerves and speaking with confidence, even when you don't feel it?
2: So there's only one answer to that question, in my opinion, and that's practice. Hmm. The more you practice, the more public speaking you do, the more comfortable you'll be and the better you will be at it.
1: Absolutely. Now what about introvert or extrovert? People tend to see this as a very binary structure, which of course we know it's a continuum, but on that, where do you fall?
2: So I think I'm probably pretty clearly on the extrovert side of that okay. spectrum.
1: And what is one of your personal strengths as an extrovert and what's an area for growth?
2: I think my strength is that I like people and I like interacting with them and um and that's whether I'm doing public speaking or before or after a public speaking opportunity to just talk with people and hear their stories and understand what their interests are. So I I think that's one of the ways I take advantage of my tendency toward being an extrovert.
1: And what's an area for growth, something that doesn't come as easily to you as an extrovert?
2: I think I'd answer that it wasn't always easy for me. I think when I was younger, and when I was starting, you know, going into a room of 100 people where you've never met anyone, it's not easy to wade into that audience. We haven't met anyone and engage them in conversation and try and figure out what they're interested in. So it's another example of where practice and experience is going to make you more accomplished at being an extrovert.
1: Yes. So finally, handling conflict. Nobody likes it, but nevertheless, When faced with a potential conflict or a difficult situation, is your natural instinct, your DNA hardwiring, is it to want to avoid or to engage head on?
2: So it's my first wishy-washy answer, but I'll get to a bottom. (laughs) I'm like every other human being. If you can avoid conflict, you will. But I've learned from vast experience that that is almost never the right course. And so I fight my instinct. And I wade into conflict and I try and confront it and try and resolve it by confronting it. Because you cannot resolve conflict without wading into it, confronting it, and trying to engage both sides. Couldn't have said it
1: better myself. David, thank you so much for joining today. How can people learn more about you and Comcast or any other organization you'd like to draw attention to? Comcast may be pretty easy to find.
2: about me, they'll go crazy. But you can always Google me. I have a lot of stories that have been written about me, and anyone who thinks that I am nice and entertaining, I can guarantee you you can find some pretty nasty (laughs) things about me in Google. But but it's interesting. I don't have a web page. I don't use social media, so learning about me and it's not hard to learn about me is basically your most basic Google searches. By the way, I mean my I I don't even have an. Updated LinkedIn page. I have no idea what's on my LinkedIn page. My people have pointed out to me my Wikipedia article hasn't been updated in 15 years. So I'm a creature of 30 years ago. And then layer Google on top of that.
1: <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you again so much for joining today and sharing your insights and experience with all of us.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.
1: And thank you to everybody else for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my Quick Start Guide to Mastering the Three Cs, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite.
0: Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.